Well, hello there, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Yamcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Erica. And uh, we just love talking about life and college ministry, young adult ministry. And we use the Bible to frame all of those discussions, which is what we did last week and what we're doing this episode and every episode from here on out, forever and ever, at infinitum. Forever. If you would like to contact us at all, you can do that on the socials at the Yamcast, or you can contact us via email at yamcastpod at gmail.com. It's always great when we can do it in time. That was... I want to say, it's like we're pros. It's like we've been doing this for a year and a half. I'm going to call myself Actually, a... I don't know how long we've been doing I'm a semi-pro. Almost no. two years. Yeah. I mean, we started recording in October, didn't yeah. we? I think so. 2019? That sounds right. Right before. But then I don't think it came out until... Yeah. And we're not quite at our 100th episode, but we're getting close. I got to keep track of that. Yeah. We got to do some kind of special. We should. So I've had a a few people, and I think you have as well, come up to you and tell you that, or myself, that they enjoy this podcast. Yeah. I I like it too. Yes. We enjoy it. We enjoy it. We enjoy hearing that you enjoy it. Um, If you want to support the podcast the best way to do that is not just to tell us that you like it <laughs> but to tell other people that you like it share it with others as they say sharing is caring yeah so if you really want to support us in the best way share it with other people and then they can love it as well we appreciate you telling us that you like it just don't stop there move beyond that <laughs> right push this out to the world <laughs> oh that's good yeah this is thanksgiving week it is. What are you thankful for? Lots to be thankful for. Um, you know, there's lots to be thankful for, right? My <laughs> there is. My healthy child, which is still crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, having a roof over my head, having a job that I can go back to. So all good things. Having things that bring me joy. Yeah. Lots of things. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, I, I really, you really can't complain, right? You can. It doesn't really serve That's any true. purpose. You shouldn't complain. Yeah, it doesn't help you at all. No. So, what are you thankful for? Yeah. Well, I'm thankful for this job, this podcast. Thankful that you had a baby and everything went great. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful that I've got a high schooler who's just coming into her own. She's just blossoming. I think she's taller than her mom at this point. She's, I think, taller than me. Which is great. She was at my small group this week, and yeah. She like I like walk up. She has my baby, and I'm like, "Oh, that's cute." She's yeah. like, "Yeah, Aaron just gave him to me." I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> oh, she's cute. Yeah, she's she's great. I've got a middle schooler who's phenomenal. I've got a great wife. Things are good. A lot to be thankful for. Yeah. Even in the midst of the weirdness of holidays and family and COVID and everything else, it's mm-hmm. like, no, we're all right. And it's not that everything is perfect. No. Or great all the time. Far from. But you can always find the good, even when. Some things might not be. So it's about, it's about having a proper outlook. It is. It is. So speaking of proper outlooks, we uh, started the women in ministry conversation last week. Mm-hmm. I don't know, as we said, I don't know how long we're going to do this or how many episodes it's going to take. I don't even know that we're going to string them all together now. It's going to be more of a maybe a couple here, a couple there, but it's going to be an ongoing conversation mm-hmm. that we're going to have. And I think it's important for young adults and college students because. I know I've had this question from college students a lot and young adults who just say, why does the church do blank, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever know. that might be. Yeah, why doesn't 
you know, I've had it asked, why, why aren't there women blank in the church? Why aren't there women this? Why, why does the church do this, 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 and this? And uh, there's assumptions baked into that, and there's a lot of assumptions, oh, yeah. you know, that are held by a lot of people in that regard. And as we talked a little bit last week, some of that's because our culture was developed around a Judeo-Christian ethic, but some of it was a Judeo-Christian ethic attached to some kind of weird culture thing that then got fed into the scriptures somehow, as opposed to the scriptures informing us. Mm-hmm. So our goal, or these these episodes, whenever we bring this up, just to kind of remind you of the the context and the framework with which we're working with, we're just going to take scripture at close to face value as we can. And in order to do that, we got to dig a little bit, right? Yeah. We got to spend a little time digging in. So one of the verses that I thought we would talk about in this conversation, we're just going to go right through the front door. This is one of the ones that gets people really, really worked up and understandably so. Well, yeah, because they take these verses, just these verses as standalone pieces of scripture. And I mean, if I just heard somebody say this, I would also be like, what in the world? No, that is not right. That is not okay. Right. And that is what we do with a lot of scripture that we're not okay with. We kind of just take that part and we're like, this doesn't make sense. Instead of still looking at it as a part of the whole Bible, as a part of a book of the Bible, as a part of a chapter of the Bible, you know, like it still is a part of a whole. You can't just take it and run with it. You need to see how the parts of scripture affect it and, and feed into it really. Totally. And how it all fits together. Mm-hmm. So you ready for it? Let's do it. Here we go. Here's the passage. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35. And if you uh, throw your phone after hearing these two verses read, go pick it up, dust it off. Keep listening. And then just listen. Let's talk about it. So verse 34. The women should keep quiet in these church meetings. They are not allowed to speak out, but should be under authority, as the law of Moses says. If there is something they want to know, they should ask their own husbands at home. It is shameful for a woman to speak up like that in a church meeting. That sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, if you just listen to that, and I mean, even even reading the whole chapter, the whole book, you still come to that verse and you kind of stop. You're like, ooh. But as we've talked about before, when we talk about the Bible, we've said this numerous times. If you come to parts of Scripture that don't sit right, that doesn't mean that you just throw it away. Right. That means you need to dive in. Like, sure. we know that scripture is true, just, right, all of those things. So if we know those things to be true and we come to a part of scripture that doesn't sit well and doesn't seem like it aligns with those things, then there must be something else going on here. Right. And that's what we've talked about with judges. We've talked about that with lots of different areas of scripture, and that's the same here. We don't just throw this out, say it's cultural, say it's whatever, mm-hmm. but we actually try to figure out what is trying to be said here? Because I don't believe it is just women don't talk ever in church. Sure. You know, like I don't. Yeah. Knowing knowing how Paul values women. Sure. And what he's done in other parts, like that can't be what is being said here. You know? Right. And we're going to dig into that. So I was just reading from the easy to read version. It's one of the newer versions that popped up in the Bible app recently. And you, you already heard that there were some some decisions interpretively made in that. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah. Women should not talk in this way. So here's the ESV version. This is usually what gets people a little bit fired up. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. 
Can you read the other one again? Yep. Let me let me read this one one more time. This is the one that gets people fired up, and this is what we're going to spend our most time on just talking, but then I'll show you how the translation makes a decision on, on some of these words, and that's what we're going to talk about. So here's the ESV. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, so that's ESV. Here's one of the newer translations that just came out, and listen closely to the differences. The women should keep quiet in these church meetings. Notice the difference already. Mm-hmm. They are not allowed to speak out, but should be under authority, as the law of Moses says. If there is something they want to know, they should ask their own husbands at home. It is shameful for a woman to speak up like that in the church meetings. And there are two specific words that do not belong in the Greek that they have inserted here. Like that was the one phrase, and then these mm-hmm. church meetings. So when you read the Greek by itself, it, it comes across as way more offensive just because it says women should be silent in church and they should ask their husbands at home what to, what to think and what to, you know, what to do about this passage. So let's break it down, yeah. shall we? Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple things that we need to start thinking about when it deals with context. And the context of 1 Corinthians 14 is that Paul is talking to the church and he's saying that he wants the church to, to create orderly worship services. So this is Big C Church or this Corinth Corinth Church? Specifically speaking to the church in Corinth. Okay. However, the implications are very valuable for everyone. Okay. And what he's saying in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 14, if you were to read the whole chapter, which we're not going to do that here, but if you were to spend the whole time in the whole chapter, what he says is don't just wildly show up to church and just like do whatever you want to do. Come with a song. Come with a prayer prepared. Come with, basically he's saying like develop your service order structure. Prepared, yeah. Yeah. Come with an orderly understanding. If someone's going to speak in a tongue, make sure that there's an interpreter there. Just basic things. Just in the whole point of the service is the service that you are promoting is chaotic and it's unorderly. And that's not the way God would be honored by, right? Mm-hmm. If God is the God of order and God is the God of structure, which we see in creation in the very beginning of the Bible, he takes things and he separates them and creates space for, well, let's say, light and dark, or right? Or mm-hmm. the waters of the sky and the waters of the earth. Whatever those things are, he is creating structures and spaces for things to operate in correct ways. And what Paul's arguing in 1 Corinthians 14, right after he just said, show love to one another in chapter 13, and now in 14 he says, let's create services that that show love to one another and do so in a way that nobody feels like they're completely out to lunch, right? Don't make it a service where everyone's looking at each other like, that is weird. Why did this just happen? This is strange. It is for everyone. Sure. Which maybe starts to give us a little bit of an indication of what might be happening in this church. But I'll leave that comment aside, and then we'll, we'll set that even further aside. Uh, and we'll come back to it in a little bit. But the, the big issue with this is it seems weird that Paul would say, don't let women talk. And you brought this up. Yeah. Why did you say that that would be weird, that Paul well, is saying that? You said he values women, but what were you trying to get at there? Well, I know earlier in Corinthians, he talks about women praying Yes. And women um, prophesying. prophesying. Mm-hmm. So, and they would they would do that in front of everyone. That would not be, you don't prophesy to yourself, right? So, or just to your husband, right? <laughs> you would, that when you prophesy, it is for a mass to, a mass of people to hear. Correct. So if, <clears throat> excuse me, if that is happening, then they would be speaking in church. So it can't be. Right. So that's when hearing that other translation of 
in these these church services or like that kind of makes sure. it dis- distinguishes it a little bit more. Sure. Well, and so it's not just women can't ever talk, stay silent. So again, co- the context. So we just talked through fourteen and the context of fourteen. Now fourteen is the end of an argument that Paul has begun in chapter eleven. So what you just said is totally right. I'm going to show you how right it is in just a second. But if you think about this letter coming in different parts, chapter 11 through 14 is clearly one unified thought. Okay. It starts in 11, starting off with saying, uh, you know, I want you to live out the traditions that I've asked you to, to live out. And, and I want you to understand that the head of every man is, is Christ. The head of every wife is her husband. The head of, of Christ is God. So the way that we operate in church has sort of a headship idea. And then he goes on to say, every one of you has a gift and a value to the mm-hmm. church. So I want you to exercise those gifts, use those gifts for one another. And as you do so, the church is going to be blessed by you and honored by you. And then he talks in, so that's chapter 11, chapter 12. Here's how you use your gifts to serve one another in this way. Chapter 13, love one another. Don't forget that that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you heard in 11 and 12, exercise your gift and do it your best you possibly can. You're like, well, I'm a way better prophetic person than you are. So I'm going to just go. And then he says, well, if you have a gift of prophecy, but you're Mm. not doing it in love, you're just an idiot. That's my translation. Uh, I mean, if they had that word back then, that might have been what they used. (laughs) That is is correct. (laughs) So that's kind of the idea of 13. It's just like, I've just told you in 11 that you're a part of the body of Christ. You you have a purpose and a place. 12, here's your gift. I want you to use it. 13, I want you to do it in love. 14, I also want you to do it in an orderly way. And now if you wrap all of those thoughts into that, that's the context of this passage. I want my church, the one that I planted in Corinth, and I, I would say this is true of every church. Mm-hmm. Like if a church isn't seeing everybody as part of the family, that's a bad thing. If the church isn't exercising people's gifts in their in the spirit, uh, then we're not where we should be. If we're not exercising love, then we we're should probably it. just like close the doors, you yeah. know. And then if we're not orderly, then no wonder people think we're weird, right? You know, if you go to a church and you're just chanting about crazy weird things and you're running around in circles and you know, having snakes. When like somebody's over here talking and somebody's over here talking and somebody's over here talking totally. and everything's going crazy. Totally. And then there's a flag and everybody's running and screaming and dancing I mean, if you have ADD, floor. maybe you would love it, you know, but <laughs> that's what they call those Enneagram ones would not. <laughs> ADD church. Yeah. Like, oh, I know exactly that. Yeah. So the idea here is like, that makes a ton of sense. And you say, okay, here's the church. Now back to your point, you said, he says that women, now listen to what it says in verse four of chapter 11. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if the head were shaven. Now, we don't have time to dig into like the weirdness of that verse, but we just need to talk for a second. He said if women are praying and prophesying in church, clearly out loud, yeah. then what is going on? If that's the beginning of chapter 11, he says that. And then he tells everybody, you're a part of the body of Christ. Then in 12, he says, you have a gift. You all have a gift. Use it. Mm -hmm. And then you go to chapter 14, and he says, women, be silent in church. Now, if I'm a woman, and and I'm not, you know, (laughs) just just to clarify, (laughs) just in case anyone was wondering out there. If I'm a woman, and I have the gift of teaching or prophecy, and I'm told to be silent, how am I supposed to exercise my gift mm-hmm. in chapter 12 and do it in such a way that honors God and shows people what that looks like? So that when, is the eternal question. <laughs> so when you come, well, and that's really what we're unpacking. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do that in this episode by itself. This episode is just sort of opening up this can of worms and we'll deal with it as we go along. But the idea really is that if, if Paul starts by saying, if you're doing this, do it in this way. And then a couple chapters later, he's like, be silent. He is contradicting himself within his own thought process. 
And we've talked about before, there aren't contradictions. So there must be something else going on here. Like he's not saying, right. two seconds ago, I forgot that I said that, and now I actually mean this. Like he knows full well. Sure. So there's something else going on there that, yeah, that's why we're here too. And I love, I love that thought that there are not contradictions. I might say it like, if there is a contradiction, it's intentional. Mm. Same, I think it's the same idea, yes. but it, but it kind of makes us go. Maybe we should just stop and, and consider the scriptures a bunch of times. And so, here's here's where the commentaries go with this. Okay, so as you unpack this passage, uh, you know, one commentary that I read, they said there is no shortage of opinion on this. <laughs> I'm like, duh, everyone knows that. We've got a ton of conversation. So here's the possibilities, and I want to just break down the three possibilities, and then the third one breaks into three more possibilities, and that's where I believe it lands. But the first possibility is that Paul didn't write those two verses. So they were inserted later. Yes. I don't like the idea, uh, but there's a couple of manuscripts that have those two verses, 34 and 35 of chapter 14, where it says women be silent in church. Some of them have those at the very end of the chapter in mm-hmm. a weird spot that they don't they don't belong there. They clearly belong where they are. And even they feel a little bit inserted in a strange place. So some scholars have said, well, then clearly Paul didn't write this. This was, this was entertained by second, third, mm. fifth generation church people who just wanted women to be quiet, so they put this in, and they must have forgotten about verse 11, uh, or chapter 11. I, there's some potentially huge issues with that mindset, and you can understand why. Yeah, right? yeah. If Paul didn't write it, then what do we do with it? And so there's a lot of people that have said, well, Paul didn't write it, so we're just going to throw it out. And I'm like, okay, I get it. But this isn't inconsistent with Paul's line of thinking in other books as well. Now, it's a little more bold. He never once says women should be silent in church as he does in this chapter. So that does make us go, hmm, that's weird. But there are other places that he says things similar to what I even just read about having your head covered or these types of things. So so I, I don't think we can just say that Paul didn't write it, but you, but I want the listener to know and, and for all of us to know. like The different possibilities. Some people believe Paul didn't write it. I don't agree with that, but I understand it. I this, mean, it does, when you read through the verses before it and that, it doesn't really fit. It feels weird. It does. So, but even I read it after and it also feels weird there too. So it's like, <laughs> I, I mean, it does feel odd where it, it is placed. It but. does. It totally does. And there's a, I think there's a couple of good explanations for that and we probably won't have time, but we'll, we'll see. Number two, the second possibility is that Paul is actually quoting a Corinthian statement. He does this in a few other places, and we've pretty much nailed these down. There's a bunch of spots where Paul says something that's so outlandish it doesn't seem to fit him at all, and it's clear what he's doing there is he's quoting someone. So there's another spot in another letter where he writes to Titus, and he says, Cretans are always liars and thieves, and you've so proven that by yourself. And I'm like, whoa, that's harsh. But then you you look it up, and you find out, actually, the Cretans said this about themselves. Like, they, they made this statement of who they were, and Paul's quoting it. The problem is in ancient Greek, all the letters are just smashed together. We would never know. And they don't have like that punctuation Correct. that offsets it like <laughs> right. this is a quote. There's no because quotation. Because we have quotation marks. <laughs> so you can understand why Paul might say, I hear that you have said women be silent in church. And that's what he's actually saying. Because the very next thing that he says after that, sorry, I got out of my, I was still in chapter 11 there. Uh, the very next thing he says after that is, or was it from you that the word of God came? From women? Or what is he saying? It's, does, it, it doesn't, okay. We don't know. So what he could be saying is, men, you're saying women be silent in church. And the very next verse says, or was it from you that the word of God came? And all the men are like on their heels now like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you saying? 
So it could be that he's quoting the Corinthians and then he's, he's following up in 36, 37, and 8 and on saying, I do want everyone to prophesy. The word is not just coming to you men. It's coming to women too. Mm-hmm. So we need to orderly handle it in a correct way. It's a possibility. It's weak because typically when he quotes somebody, he does make a statement as they say or as you've mm-hmm. read or as you've heard. He doesn't do that here. So some people have said, I don't, it's not super strong, and there's a reason for us not to, you know, buy into it a ton. So that's the second. So the first one is that Paul didn't write it at all. The second one is that Paul is actually quoting someone else and then utilizing it to make his case in 36, 37, and so on. The third possibility is that it is similar to number two, but it's just that Paul wrote it full stop, no problems with it. The problem with Paul writing it is, first, it seems that Paul's inconsistent, right? Uh so then you start asking the question, if he's saying you can prophesy in chapter 11, but he says you can't prophesy in chapter 14, is that really what he's saying? Or is there something else happening altogether? So some who have said Paul's being consistent here, they think maybe Paul's speaking to a synagogue or a cultural issue, right? Mm-hmm. That maybe in Corinth, uh, since the, the worship of, of the goddess Artemis in Corinth is really kind of overly sexual and very... Uh, what we would call disgusting and disorderly, by the way, mm-hmm. today. It's it's more of a massive rave mm. with stronger connotations than rave. I don't yeah. know how old the people are, are listening to this. Just imagine if your worship service was showing up with a whole bunch of women running around with no clothes on and everything happens how it happens, and that's worship. Well, if that's how you're used to it, then the women in your culture might think that they have a very elevated mm. status and so the preacher might say something, and they might be standing up yelling and screaming at them, like, that's not how this is. And he's going, guys, that needs to stop. And as the synagogue shows, this is how we order things. Um, and in a synagogue, typically women didn't talk. It was just the way the Jews did things. So maybe he's saying to the Gentiles, hey, be like the synagogues. Maybe. That's one mm-hmm. possibility. Mm-hmm. It's not super strong, but it's there. The second one would be that Paul is actually prohibiting all forms of com- communication from women, but that would make no sense if you look at chapter mm-hmm. 11, right? I mean, that's that contradiction. It just doesn't yeah. seem to fit. So if Paul wrote it, he, is he inconsistent? I don't think so. Is he prohibiting all forms of communication? I don't think so. C, is he prohibiting some forms of communication, which is why that translation has landed where it is? Don't do that in these church meetings. Don't say those types of things in this way. They've landed in an interpretive decision, and they've said, this is where we're going to translate, this is how we're going to do it, this is where we're going to go. And I think that it is very possible that that's what Paul's doing. Mm. is He's saying there are certain parts of the church service that you should know at this point that if you have a question, instead of standing up and disrupting the whole thing, mm-hmm. being disorderly in a way that doesn't honor God and in a way that shows that you want to rule over your husband, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Going back to that Genesis 1 and, and 2 ideal that we kind of looked at and then how it all spells out in Genesis 3. If that's what you're doing, Paul's like, well, don't embarrass your husband. Don't embarrass the church. Don't be a disorderly in the church. Just honor God. And if you have a big question about what was said, talk with it about to your husband at home. Like, figure it out. And then when you come back and you've got a word of prophecy next week, then share it, Verse 11, chapter 11. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about that? I mean, it it is the most likely possibility, right? Yeah. Like, um, and because the only thing that kind of gets me, I mean, I don't mind the whole, because I do think that it is, like that translation said, in these ways, at these services, I mean, 
even within our churches today, like you don't have people that are just going to stand up and yell things or if they don't agree, right. they'll take you to the side afterwards or maybe they'll send a great email, right? Um, but the thing that could be hard for me still is like, if you have a question, go ask your husband, assuming that they know everything and that you don't, which I, sure. which, which is the, the like kind of cynical part of me that's like, what if you actually know more than they do? Right. Um, and so then that's where I would assume husbands would be humble enough to be like, I actually don't know. Sure. So we will go and talk to the preacher together, and then we will both find out together rather sure. than just one of us knowing. Sure. So, I mean, it kind of still brings you together, which is nice as a husband and wife. Right. You know? But, yeah, there, that part still can kind of. Which also brings us back to culture. And brings us back to Genesis, sure, and just that tension that is there. And specifically, in the first century, women did not necessarily learn how to read or write. Very true. Whereas men typically did. We live in a totally different world than that at this point. So, like Heidi, if she had a question about a sermon, even one that I preached, which never happens, because I'm totally clear. <laughs> You're she, so crystal. She totally understands exactly what I'm saying. I'm just laughing. Uh, if she has a question, first of all, she would be so embarrassed to stand up and yell. And part of that's because it's two thousand years now of development. Do you know back to the yeah. back to the point last week that we started up? Part of the reason why this seems absurd is because this would never happen in the way that it does in the first century. It would never happen today that way. And part of it is women and, and men are, are on a way more equal playing field mm-hmm. today than they ever were. You know, my girls, we were talking about this on the way to school today. They were like, why do we have to go to school? I'm like, you should be grateful. Right. 200 years ago, you didn't have access to school. It's, you know, as a sixth grader, my little Dylan was, you know, she was already having to learn how to make all the food and get ready to have babies. Like, that's all they thought about. Well, and I mean, at least to, to one point, they, they went to school for, I mean, later on in history, they would go to school for, I don't know five years, something, and then yeah. they would be going and learning all of the sure. things from. So, like, to have eight, not 18 years, 13 years sure. of schooling, that's... That's ludicrous to an ancient yes, mind. Yes, like, that is that is a big leap. And in even college was ludicrous until even 150 years ago mm-hmm. for women. Just think about that. So, you live in a day and age where there are women sitting in your congregation who are more educated than you are, Pastor. So this whole conversation about what Paul's saying to the Corinthian church doesn't mean, in the, in the same way it doesn't mean what it meant back then. At the same time, the point is women should be participating in an orderly worship service. Yes. And that they absolutely have the right to participate because chapter 11 exists. And we have a role. Sure. It's not just to sit there. Sure. Yeah. Praying and, and prophesying. And I guess even nowadays... I would still, if I was unsure about something that I heard in the sermon, I would actually probably still ask my husband, be like, what did you think of that? You know? That's a normal relationship. That actually probably, yeah, that is actually, and like me thinking of that, that is actually probably something I would do. And then if he gave his two cents, I might be like, oh, or we might both be still confused. And then that is when I would just ask who was speaking, you know? But yeah, like I would actually still... Even probably during the service, I'd be like, what, what did that mean? What did you, you know? Right. So thinking of that, I, I would still actually ask him. Or or even just what he thinks. It's not necessarily like, you give me the answers. 
it's just, what did you think of that? Or what sure. did, what, what's your perspective on that? Or sure. what's your... And yeah. part of that's because we live in a culture now that has been informed by this very passage. The idea that a worship service is supposed to be orderly just makes sense to us today. Mm-hmm. If you go, if you walk into an American church, or you know, we've worshipped in Haiti, I've worshipped in in Israel and other countries, totally different worship style. But you walk in and you get what you expect, and an hour, two hours, four hours later, oh, you know, you're, it's still orderly. Well, and it still follows. Yeah, it still follows a schedule sure. and a pattern. Their song might go on for 20 minutes. Right. But it still is, like, nobody's in there besides us that don't, that are foreigners. Right. Everybody that's there, that lives there, they know that that's how it goes, you know? And I've only had one time, no, that's not true, one time when I was involved. I was preaching one time, and someone stopped me in the middle of my sermon and told me I was wrong. And then I said, give me one more second. And I finished my sentence. And they're like, never mind. And then they (laughs) sat down. And that was the closest I've experienced to disorderly. And it put me on my heels for a second until I realized what they were asking. And I was like, if you just give me a second, you just didn't let me finish my whole sentence where I started it with this. And then I'm going to end it with what you're asking me to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I've also been a part of one service where an individual got up and started speaking. It was clearly not gospel oriented and and anti-God in many ways. And someone got up and, and just kindly took the microphone away and started talking to end the service. Mm. Those are the two times that I've ever experienced where it's been a little, it, but it was still done in an orderly way. Mm-hmm. Like we weren't picking up chairs, chucking them at the speaker. Whereas, but I'm saying like what, what Paul's describing here is something crazy is going on in Corinth and Paul's needing to say, I need you to think this through. Now, please understand this is the first of many verses we're going to unpack. And I think as we start to unpack a whole bunch of them, you're going to start to notice that there is a nuance that has made some churches decide certain decisions the way they have. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to back away from those, and I'm not going to say what Chris just said in this podcast or what Erica just said in this podcast is women have the right to, to just run the whole show. Like, that's not what, what this is saying. That's not even what Paul's arguing for. Uh, and But it, it means that all of us have gifts and all of us have value. That's what I see in, in 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. And because of that, we need to stop when we read this passage and go, hmm, maybe there's more going on, right? Which I think we kind of showed that there is. And I don't think we would be doing this podcast if we didn't believe that women have a value Mm -hmm. to the church today, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be here then. Oh, hey, welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Erica. Good to have you with us. It would be the Chris show. But but even that was very intentional from us because we've worked so well together for so many years and we've learned a lot from each other. And it's always helpful for me to get your perspective on things. And you have a master's degree and you've, you know, we've run a lot of the same theological circles and we've had to push on some things and ask some tough questions. So we decided let's do this podcast together and let's start to like get that. I don't want to say yin and yang because that just makes it a little more Eastern than I want it to be. But, but there is an element here of like, I'm valuing you so much and learning from you as we do this together. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's not usual in the church today in some, some circles. And so I think even that we're, we're not pushing back to the extent that some who are listening to this right now are going to go, see, I knew it. They're crazy liberals. And like, blah, 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 like chill. That's not what we're doing. But at the same time, you have the gift of teaching mm-hmm. as one of your spiritual gifts. I've watched you utilize it. I've watched you teach students in a way that I can't and them click with you and value your opinion in, in certain ways that, they don't value me. At the same time, I teach things that you could never teach. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So there's a beauty in us like w- walking together in this and creating orderly worship that, that it embodies and, and builds up the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. 
which is really why we're doing the podcast. Yeah. So I'm going to set this, this is like the last quote. This is from Mark Taylor. He wrote a, a quote in one of his, one of the first Corinthians uh, commentaries. And I just really liked this quote. So I thought I would read it so that you can see how this all plays out. In sum, this is that right after he's talking about these couple of verses here that are very uh, you know, controversial. In sum, four observations are in order regarding these difficult verses. Number one, the weight of the textual evidence and the surrounding literary context strongly support the authenticity of the text as we had it. Paul wrote it. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. That's number That's, one. Sometimes yeah. they can use, because even when you sent me some of these things to read, I was like, I might have to read this five times. <laughs> Sometimes the words are a little weighty, but yes. Right. That is what that is saying, and this is, is what that I, Paul wrote. And this is why I paid for seminary. It allows me <laughs> to read these things. Number two, as with much of the letter, there is a historical context of situation known to both the author and the reader that informs the key terms, quote, to be silent and, quote, to speak, end quote. What was crystal clear to them is not quite as clear to us. Since the command to be silent is not absolute in the case of both prophecy and tongues uh, elsewhere in the book, it is not absolute with respect to the wives. Silence in this context means, quote, to refrain from asking questions, end quote. That's verse 1435. So, yeah, he's saying there, as we've mentioned, there is a context. I love that he says that. There's a context known to the reader yep. and to the writer that is not fully known to us. That's why it doesn't quite make sense to us, but it is crystal clear to them. Yes. Like, I love that. And part of why it doesn't make sense to us is because we have fought this battle now for 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. So we have, we have progressed in our understanding and we have followed God in an honoring way that we don't even have to ask about whether a service is going to be good or not. You know, even like a non-Christian walks into a, a service at church, they kind of expect it to be orderly, to not be crazy, because Christians have won. You know, the culture expects something from church. They might think it's boring. They might not like it. Yeah. But that, but but they walk into a church and for the most part, they they're getting what they music, expect. There's going to be music. There's going to be speaking. And I also think that that is exactly what they're saying about the being silent is, yeah, the asking of questions during the service. Something particular is happening with these two verses that should not be happening. Therefore, Paul feels the need to say something about it. I think that's important for us to notice. Verse th- or Number three, tongues, prophecy, and the weighing of prophecies are all in the immediate context, but the overall theme of doing all things unto edification in an orderly way which reflects the character of the God of peace and order is sufficient reason for Paul to address a third, somewhat unrelated situation. So the idea there is that the service sometimes gets a little out of hand, and Paul's just reminding people to do it in an orderly way. And in this case, he's saying directly to the women who are married, this is how you should be conducting yourselves in this service. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Number four, even though cultural context is important and probably, probably explains a lot, especially concerning behavior that... Be, uh, brings social shame, theological considerations are also in view. In other words, Paul disallowed certain kinds of speech and asked for submission, quote, as the law says, end quote. Paul's concern is for the integrity of all relationships, for the good of the church, to the glory of God. And so part of what he's saying there, and he goes into more detail in the commentary, is think of him being a husband whose wife just stood up and, and publicly shamed him by going after the pastor or whoever's speaking. Think of if it's the husband sharing a prophecy and the wife stands up to tell everybody that he's wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, that makes it sound weird. I don't even mean, if someone's speaking wrong, they do need to be stopped. You know, like, yes, and you can that, do it in yeah. an orderly, constructive way. 
But if it's about something that the Lord has spoken to you about and you stand, like what, just say, you know, let's, let's put it into today's context. Let's say we had a share time and someone stood up and said, the Lord laid on my heart that my addiction to blank, right? Whatever this is, is overwhelming my life and my family. And I, I'm trusting that God's going to give me the strength that I need, but I need a couple of you men to come around me, gather and guide me through so that I can end this addiction. If his wife stood up in the middle of his heartfelt thing and said, he's never going to do it. He's tried this 20 times, and last night he was drinking again, or whatever this thing is, that ruins everything. And, and if you put it in that context, I'm like, oh, that, that verse makes total sense, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if Heidi stood up in the middle of one of my messages and she's like, nope, 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 that's not what that passage says. Well, Heidi hasn't done any of the work on the passage that I have. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm not even saying that I'm right. And I, and I, I typically preach, or like, here's some different possibilities. I don't know what they all mean, but here's what it definitely means. Do you know what I'm saying? And you see that in the podcast. But if my wife stood up and, and publicly shamed me, that doesn't get anywhere. And so in that sense, you read this verse and you go, oh, okay. Well, let's, let's think through how we're going to handle this and how we're going to do it in an orderly way. Well, and as he said in this quote, like, the integrity of all relationships for the good of the church. Like, that doesn't bring any good to the church if you do that, that does not keep your relationship good at all. No. Like you, the integrity of that relationship is gone. Correct. Right? So if you think of it also from that way too, not just like somebody's feelings are hurt, you right. know, or that it's it's more so that that does not bring any good to the church. I mean, that doesn't, going back to 1 Corinthians 13, that does not help. That's not loving. No. Um, that's not going to help you. With your relationship either. So, I mean, if you think of those two things, too, as to why that maybe shouldn't be happening. Right. It's not helpful. No. So that's it. That's a big passage. <laughs> but I, I really think that that, because even for me, that helped me to understand a little bit more, too, of... It really has to do with the asking of questions. Potentially. That, yeah. that seems to be the most likely, mm-hmm. if we're talking about orderly worship, like that seems to be the most likely possibility. Because, I mean, it comes right after him saying, yep. be silent if you've got questions. Like Ask that's, your husband. You're yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I think what we do as women is we read this and then we're just like, and this is what's wrong with the church. You know, we right. read this and we're like, we, we have to be silent. Like, we see that as oppressive, but when you really take it from the full context, sure, that's not at all what it's saying. Sure. And that, that's, that's so great and so helpful. My final thought on this would be, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 11, what he says is God is, is, God is Christ. Christ is head of the church. The church is leading us and guiding us. And then he says in the household, men and then women, which we'll get into that eventually. We'll talk about the submission aspect. Uh, But the idea here is that there's an order. And if God has spoken directly to, to someone through a prophecy, you don't have the right to jump up and make it disorderly just because you don't agree with what's being said or how. I think whether that's a question or whether it's an Mm -hmm. exclamation or whether it's some type of interaction that you're having during the service, you're missing the whole context of 11 through 14. And if you do that, all of a sudden you realize, whoa, everyone belongs. Everyone has a gift that they're supposed to be exercising. We're supposed to be doing this in love. 
and we're supposed to do this in an orderly way. If you do all those things, most women would be quiet in church. Just not because they need to be, but just because I'm not going to jump up and scream in the middle of that. And again, we live in a culture that would never even dream of doing such a thing because we're 2,000 years into mm-hmm. this at this point. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that women shouldn't be praying out loud. It doesn't mean women shouldn't be sharing what God has said to them and bettering the whole church because of it. Well, and not just women shouldn't be jumping up. Men also shouldn't be jumping up. Agreed. But obviously this is a problem that maybe they're having with women doing it. That's why women are being addressed. But nobody should be jumping up and, you know, you're wrong or whatever, interrupting, whatever it might be. No one should be doing that. But obviously they're having a problem with women doing it. That's why it's being addressed. Totally agree. And that is a good word. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Yamcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember to check us out on all the socials like Instagram at the Yamcast. We love to hear back from you guys, so please leave us a comment or a review, and we might even send you guys a sticker. Also, if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. 